Okay. I'm a guy that Bob Spencer could be. Or that could be Bob Spencer. Works for you, works for Lennox, works for me. Hi, I'm Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to episode nine of Getting Defoe You, season two, where from Heaven's Gate to the present day, join us as we get to know Willem Defoe in this dedicated Defoe podcast. And here we are. It seems like only yesterday that we'd started this season. And we're in the it penultimate feel- episode. It feels like only yesterday we started this podcast, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, here we are. We're already towards the end already. Uh, and it feels like we've we've been up and down. There've been the friends and the foes left, right, and center. Uh, you know, we've we've covered adaptations, we've been to hotels, we've been swinging through New York, uh, and now we're out here solving some desert murders. It's 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 big it's big times, yeah. As you said, like there's been a lot of adaptations this this season. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's been yeah. there's been a it seems to me like a good old adaptation, doesn't it? Whether it's the Bible, or it's like a tra- <laughs> <laughs> an adaptation of facts with Mississippi burning, whether it is <laughs> yeah, is is a man who loves loves a challenge, uh, being a villain, being a savior, being a bloody cop. As we uh, as we find out this week, um, I think it's I think it's very important to address just before we get into it all that at the time of recording, the Golden Globe nominations have just been revealed. Our boy Defoe, could this be the year where we break the curse and get ourselves a little bit of something something for our boy? Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? It's a we were just speaking off air that there's a it's a tough category. So he's nominated in best supporting male actor in a motion picture, and yeah, so the the running order of things goes that we have Robert De Niro for The Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling in Barbie, Charles Melton in May December, Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things, and also our boy Willem Dafoe in poor things what do you feel like are his chances daryl this early stages well i in part i kind of feel like we've willed through sheer power of um forcing the sexiness of this season i feel like we've we've kind of helped put this into existence i think we should pat ourselves on the back a little bit (laughs) (laughs) i i i read something about that film that i'd completely forgotten that I think is very much going to sway one of our like main questions on the podcast when we come to record it. Yeah, I'm not going to reveal anything because obviously this film doesn't go wide uh, for a while here in the UK. So, uh, oh yeah, tease, tease, tease for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as you said, we were talking about this off record. It's a pretty stacked category of nominees. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I don't want to d- dampen our boys' chances. You know, it'll be the heart says the foe, but the head. I think it could go. And again, not spoiling anything because at time of recording, poor things is not out in the UK. We've um, had the good old joy of seeing it previously at respective film festivals local to us. I think Ruffalo. I think Mark Ruffalo's him of a shout. If it's going to be mm-hmm. anyone else, let's give it to old Ruffers. And if we've seen anything from like their their interactions on social media whether it's that picture of them and the like alpacas or 
Mark Ruffalo, <laughs> like there's pictures of him, like, do you know what I mean? Like really buddied up and like, I'm not romance. sure if you, I'm not sure if you heard the amazing like prank that uh, Willem Dafoe and the crew were like pulling on Mark Ruffalo on set of Poor Things. Little Willem de Prankster. <laughs> oh, a cheeky little, uh, cheeky little daddy Dafoe bringing on a, well, they sort of joke in that they were going to replace Mark Ruffalo with Oscar Isaac. Yeah. And then Willem Dafoe actually brought him to set. Yeah. He's a bastard. And I fucking love it. That is like such a great little move, isn't it? That's such a Hollywood prank, Dafoe. That's that's A-list power, baby. That's Green Goblin energy right there. That's BDE. Hey, Oscar. I've got I've got a little plan. You wanna you wanna, you wanna play a little joke on Mark Ruffalo? Really ruffle his feathers. <laughs> What's going to happen? It's going to be beautiful. We're going to ruffle Ruffalo's feathers. We're going to cover him in barbecue sauce like a McRib. That's a very in-joke. You've seen a very specific TikTok. Um, oh, God. What a lad. What a lad. He's going to get tarred and ruffled feathers. <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, yeah, at least we've got, like, I feel like a win for Ruffalo will feel like like Defoe will be happy with that. So mm. like the only one of those films I haven't seen is May December. So I cannot really speak to that. Like And you, I don't I don't think you never you can hardly tell with awards and especially the Golden Globes, which like for a lot of people is very much like the the jokiest of award shows anyway do you know what i mean like a lot of it is they just nominate people that they want to turn up to the ceremony and they want to hang out with <laughs> yeah i mean you know i'd, I'd be dominating the photo and also here's rooting for emma stone as well i think if anyone is fucking deserving of it this year oh, yes, 2024 i think emma stone's got it in the bag and don't you worry you know we're not here obviously to discuss poor things on this occasion, but it is coming. Don't you worry. Very, very excited to tuck it into poor things. But we are here this week to talk about instead um, a very much unnominated movie. We are here to talk about White Sands. Uh, and we are discussing the many gaping plot holes in White Sands. We are trying to understand the importance of Defoe's hat. And we discuss how even the worst movies can be saved by a little something called the Strokes Defense. <laughs> <laughs> it would all make sense. It all makes sense with the Strokes Defense. Um, so who was joining us this week to talk about White Sands, Petros? We were joined by Scott Murphy of the 90s Action All the Time and New Horror Express podcast. Where, and he felt like a perfect guest for this one. He kind of covers a lot of 90s schlock cinema so talking about the schlockiest of schlock with uh defoe and mickey rourke in white sands was a perfect old time we had a grand old time talking about this one um this is one that's you can find it for renting and on various streaming platforms as well and it's one that's you know we will get into it we didn't like but we all liked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it will all make sense. It will all make sense. Uh, but what does make sense is um, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you are enjoying the podcast, you can reach out, you can get in touch with us, you can contact us. There's many ways you can do it. We're all over the shop. Uh, Petros, where can the podcast be found? 
You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at DefoeUPod. Always be a defriend, never be a Defoe, and get involved. Or you can drop us an email, which is DefoeUPod at gmail.com. Wonderful stuff. So without further ado, let's jump right on into this one. It's episode nine, season two, getting to foe you, White Sands. Hope you enjoy. We'll catch you at the end at half an hour. Ta. Getting to foe you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. This week, we take a trip to the US Southwest for the 1992 crime thriller White Sands. Here, Defoe plays Ray Dozal, a small town deputy sheriff who finds a body in the desert along with a suitcase full of $500,000 in cash. Helping us get to know Defoe a little better this week and see if these sands are grand or just plain bland is reviewer and host of the all-90s action all the time and new Horror Express podcasts, it's Scott Murphy. Scott, thank you very, very much for joining. How the devil are you doing? Oh, not bad, not bad at all. Thank you very much for having me on. I was delighted to get the invite. <laughs> yes, yes, he knows the script. He knows the script. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> Someone's read the uh, intro notes we sent before starting the episode out. <laughs> it's a hot start, hot to start, just the way we really like it. So with that in mind, we're always keen to know when we start an episode, especially when we have a new guest on the Folk Emotion train with us as well. Uh, Scott, how well do you know Willem Dafoe? Tell us a little bit about your Dafoe history do you recall your first Defoe film? Do you know how many you've seen? And what are your general views on the man as well? Okay. Right. So having previously listened to the show, I was a bit nervous about this up until <laughs> your last couple of episodes um, because you've constantly threatened to end the podcast if it's not Spider-Man or Platoon. <laughs> and, and, and it's yeah. not, not Spider-Man or Platoon for me. No, I remember my first oh. my first Defoe film uh, was Clear and Present Danger. Oh, lovely stuff. Right, that's it. Good nice. night. It's been great having you, Scott. <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll finish it there. White Sands, good all around. Yep, cheers, bye. <laughs> <laughs> We're obviously joking. We're obviously joking. Yeah. A, little bit of a, a little bit of a dramatic pause there, listener. To... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we like the idea of the threat just lingering over the episode. Let's yeah. uh, give it some drama, give it some tension. Yeah, that pause is there as well to be like that could be it. That could be it, Scott. We could we could we could just end it there, and uh, you'll never know until the episode comes out and you realise, oh shit, it's five minutes long. <laughs> That's, oh my god, <laughs> my appearance wasn't long. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. But like um. I have to say, like having seen that movie, I, um, I mean, I enjoyed uh, Willem Dafoe's performance, but I, I don't think I really knew who he was. In fact, the first couple of movies I saw him in were Clear and Present Danger, and then the second movie I saw him in was Speed Two. Mm -hmm. 
And at that stage, right. it wasn't until kind of the early 2000s, I became like a big kind of Defoe fan. Uh, because I, I think when I saw those two movies, I actually wasn't sure that like that Willem Dafoe and William Sadler were two separate people. <laughs> I would love to see Willem Dafoe's death in the in the Bill and Ted movies. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. But yeah, then after that, like kind of in the 2000s, I seem to see him in everything. Like, you know, it, like I just, I hit a certain stage um, and it was just, I saw just a run of all of his, like tons of his movies existence boondock saints uh american psycho spider-man animal factory you know autofocus finding nemo you know <laughs> just tons and tons of it and as well as some of his classics yeah. like mississippi burning and, and platoon and uh, so it was kind of it was kind of in that stage between about 2000 and 2005 i became like a, a really big uh default fan and um as i'm kind of like a weird nerd i've just been like slowly cataloging what i the movies i've seen by every actor i know on on letterbox and so uh willem dafoe is currently sitting as my fourth most watched actor of yes. all time on 47 films nice That's nice bad. i think yeah i think you're like level pegging That's... with us at the moment no or, or, or at least me yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel inclined to ask, you know, fourth, we've got to bump those numbers up. Who, who's just beaten Defoe to a podium finish on your letterbox there? All uh, right, so uh, currently in the top three. So uh, two more than Defoe in third place is Nicolas Cage in 49. Of course, um, acceptable. One more than that is uh, Samuel Jackson on 50. And then uh, number one uh, on 64 films is Robert De Niro. Oh, nice. nice. I like nice. that, like, Defoe, like, could have gone ahead with this film, like, or could have caught up with Samuel Jackson, but then Sam Jackson's in it as well, and you're like, ah, shit. He's, he's kind of, he's, he's one for one. Like, he can't quite yeah, catch him. Absolutely. <laughs> I know the uh, the Sam Jackson turning up in films and increasing his numbers pipeline is never ending. <laughs> he's popping up here with White Sands. He's popping up in Amos and Andrew with Nicolas Cage. He's he's everywhere. This is an intentional. Yeah. He's everywhere. This is an intentional plan by Jackson to keep other people's numbers down. He, yeah. And he is he has worked with everyone in your top four as well. Jackie Brown with Robert De Niro. <laughs> like he's kind of like yeah. It's true. It's true. Oh. Confusingly, he's he's named Samuel Jackson in the opening credits, but Sam Jackson in the closing credits. So, like, yeah, who didn't knows? quite yeah, decide on his name in this film. It's pre-pulp fiction, baby. Yeah. <laughs> pre Sam Jackson multiverse. The multiverse is very, very real. So, I mean, certainly in terms of White Sands, that's the one that we are here to talk about today and of course we will get into this one um, as we go along but before we do we have some slight business to attend to and that is of course the defacts and defigures take it away pedros oh have i got some defacts and defigures for you uh white sands was directed by roger donaldson and written by daniel pine it stars Mickey Rourke, Samuel L. Jackson, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, and our very own new hat-owning daddy, Willem Dafoe. 
It was released on April 24th, 1992 in the US before getting a UK release on September 4th of the same year. The budget for this film was $22 million. The box office was reported to be $18 million worldwide. It currently holds an IMDb rating of 6 out of 10. The Rotten Tomatoes is 44% based on 16 critic reviews and the audience score is 41% off of 2,500 audience ratings. In lieu of a critic consensus, we refer to Rob Thomas of the Capital Times, Madison, Wisconsin, who writes, Not a bad little noir, but not exactly memorable either. Our first Defoe sighting is at 1 minute and 36 seconds as Ray Dozel drives his police truck out to the scene of a crime. And our first line is, Something wrong with it? when he's asked about his new hat. And that are the defects and the figures. Delightful stuff. So, White Sands, um, this is the 1992, um, as you said, little crime thriller here. And this involves, as we said in the intro, Willem Dafoe as a town deputy sheriff in the southwest who finds a dead body in the desert with half a million dollars in a suitcase and decides to impersonate the man stumbling into an FBI investigation. Um, now, for yourself, Scott, uh, White Sands, is this a first-time watch for you? Is this one that you've seen before? And I would say we'll break it down more as we go along, but you sort of recall the first time when the credits were rolling, uh, you know, what your sort of first impressions were as a whole there as well. Um. So, yes, this is... Uh, this is... I think it's a first time watch. Um, the kind of the kind of end. The kind of there's there's like the kind of ten minutes at the end. I was kind of like, maybe I have seen this before. Like, but like, um, I don't. I don't <laughs> but I'm I'm not sure if I had. It's definitely one of those kind of late night on ITV something, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. You know, like in 1998. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm pretty sure it's a first time watch. And um, yeah, I, I I have to say, I, I like, um, and I, I know we kind of give our kind of uh, full opinions at the end, but like, um, yeah, I think I overall kind of enjoyed it. it. It's it's like the kind of it's very nineties. Um, so I think like there's there's some nostalgia value there. It's the kind of junky thriller that came out every week in the nineties, but now doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, yeah. This is when they talk about they don't make them like they used to. This is it, right? Exactly. That kind of mid-budget movie <laughs> for adults that is kind of like, as you said, really <laughs> junky. Just kind of has like a a great elevator pitch. Do you know what I mean? Like around this time, we had this and like, yeah, Red Rock West, very much in the same like territory, doing the, a similar thing about a man stealing another man's identity and things going haywire from there. But yeah, it does make you long. Like it's like it's hard to not sound like a curmudgeon, right? Of being like, "Oh my god, they make them like they used to." But there's something weirdly comforting about these trashy thrillers in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is the kind of like, and I say this not being a parent, um, other than to a dog and a cat, which counts. It counts. This is the kind of movie that gives me the vibe of. Dad just wants to go to the cinema for two hours and just have some alone time, <laughs> just to decompress kind of films, if that makes any kind of sense. Uh, 
Yeah. As a dad, I can I can confirm that. Yeah, this is this is what we want. This is this is what Matt, this is what, this is what daddies want. <laughs> this this is what daddies want when we say that we want some alone time. <laughs> we want white sand. We want uh, Western neo noir thrillers. Uh, we want Defoe in cowboy hats getting ragged on at every possible opportunity. Which I, I suppose you know, like jumping into the film, it's um, you know, it's kind of one of those films where it's like, you can be like, oh, it's sort of one of these things you've definitely seen before. It's kind of a plot you've definitely seen before. And I think as you said earlier, Scott, you know, it's one of these sort of movies. It's a very 90s movie in many ways. It's I think there must have been a portion of time in the 90s, maybe the early 90s, I think while the, I guess the action boom was really sort of about to kick off where this is kind of like the middle point of like the bombastic action of like the 80s to like the more, I don't know, from like speed, it was with that 94, the first yeah. speed into like you can't airs and stuff like that when it was sort of king. It's like we had this little middle point here of like, this is our bridging gap movie, um, which I think they get a little unfairly forgotten. Like it's, is it a fantastic film? Not exactly, but <laughs> I've, I've now watched it twice and, um, rented it twice apple you'll 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 be fucking thrilled with this guy <laughs> the most action this film has seen yeah, in yeah, a while absolutely, absolutely. Uh, someone's looking film. at the stats <laughs> <laughs> someone's looking at the stats and apple going like fuck white sands is moving again what <laughs> uh, um tracking the ip address going it's the same guy one week like do we need to send someone out to check on him <laughs> every week this guy is renting renting not even buying renting white sands is he insane the answer is yes i said peek behind the curtain listeners sometimes your defo daddies get their admin wrong and we have to move record dates back because we're silly silly geese so we rent movies twice <laughs> it's my own fault when will we learn? <laughs> Roger Donaldson's um, had a couple of pennies like fall into his account. He's like, oh, blimey, mate. <laughs> I, can, I can go and get a fucking beer. Um, I don't know if that was Australian. I don't know he's, if that was New from, Zealand. He, he's from New Zealand, by the way. So I don't know why I'm doing an Australian accent. I do apologise to any Kiwi listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> the Kiwi accent's difficult to do. Like, the only yeah. thing I can kind of say in a, a, a Kiwi accent is Peter Jackson. That's that's it. That's that's all you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> the difficulty of going from two Australian or two South African with an accent somewhere in between. Yeah. That, <laughs> Some, somewhere, in between. somewhere so, somewhere in between. <laughs> somewhere in between that, and I'm still I still don't know if I'm confident enough to pull it off without offending at least a lot more people. <laughs> We've kind of joked earlier in the, in the season. This is supposed to be the sexy podcast. We're saving the apology for season three. We don't know what the apology is going to be yet. But there's a notes app somewhere with an apology on it when we get cancelled, like halfway through season three. That's kind of the goal we're going for. Um, Speaking of Roger Donaldson, though, he is like the archetypal journeyman director, right? Don't you think, Scott? Yeah. If you kind of like look at that the, the filmography that he's got, yeah. like <laughs> he has, like he has, like a, I mean, because there's his kind of like prestige films I've not actually seen. So like mm -hmm. he does like two movies with Kevin Costner, No Way Out and 13 Days, neither of which I've seen, which are apparently very good. But he does have this amazing junkie run of like he does like cocktail, this movie, 
the the getaway species and Dante's Peak, which is like, <laughs> which is wow, that is junk food cinema at its height, really. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it even sneaks Amos and Andrew in there as well, like which is like three oh, teams up with Samuel know. Jackson, yeah. Nick Cage, yeah. And I like I kind of going through his filmography, it's like. Oh fuck! He did the bank job in two thousand and eight. I saw that in the cinema. I was like, okay, Roger Donaldson's like had had some of my money in his pocket. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and now we get the little Nicolas Cage justice or seeking justice, depending on where you are in the world as well. So you know, we're talking about um, you know your top letterboxed actors, and obviously Roger Donaldson. He's been there and he's done it all with them. Yeah, absolutely. So the absolute linchpin of cinema down under and in those areas is Mr. Roger Donaldson. The world's fastest Indian as well. I remember that being a thing. Yeah. He... I remember Anthony Hopkins going Zoom for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that was a tagline, I think. Anthony Hopkins goes Zoom. I think that was... <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom, Anthony Hopkins, right around. <laughs> <laughs> said it in last week's episode when i say i don't get enough credit for the taglines i come up with the intros to these episodes i should be in marketing and i'm <laughs> sick of the fact i've not been discovered i want to be in those hollywood boardrooms saying listen four words old man goes zoom all right you can stand for a, you can stand and applaud me at any point so like you don't even have you don't even have a film name or a film idea. Anthony Hopkins, Drive Fast. <laughs> I start fist pumping the air. Secu security chokes me out and drags me out of the, the room. What would be the one for this, Daryl? Sorry to put you on the spot. What would be the tagline, tagline for this in your kind of very succinct, uh, beautiful manner of doing them? What would be the tagline for this? So if we've got to condense it down, we've got a cop, he finds some money, gets involved in some FBI business. Deputy Sheriff doesn't wind necking. <laughs> that's... That, <laughs> that's my... That's, that would be my, uh, you know, my sentence pitch for White Sands, which, you know, I, I know, Patrick, we sort of briefly discussed this um, a few days ago as we sort of, you know, we, we jump into sort of White Sands here. And mm -hmm. this is a movie where... I think broadly speaking, I don't want to speak for everyone in the room here, but you can sort of come away from this one and be like, you know, it was it was good. It was fine. I think I enjoyed it. Like, I don't really know why I enjoyed it, but I did. It just kind of, it worked in a way that I can't really describe. And I, at the same point, I would watch it again. But there are, you know, for fear of jumping a little bit or two all over the place too soon, there are some plot holes in this. <laughs> To put it lightly, ah, but at the same few, point, <laughs> but, but in the same sense, I kind of don't care. Mm. And again, I don't really know why, because sometimes it's very easy to latch onto these sort of plot holes. And I think looking at Willem Dafoe's character first, uh, Deputy Sheriff uh, Ray Dozal, um, which I think that's how the surname is pronounced. I'm sure five characters say it five very different slightly <laughs> ways throughout the movie. Dozal. Dozal, Dozal, Duzal, um, Duzali the alley cat. <laughs> so obviously he finds this body in the desert. Obviously they've got all this cash with it as well. They've been called out to this crime scene. And then they sort of 
you know, and being aware that I'm sort of skipping a few details here, uh, sort of find out this guy's uh, this number that's on the body of the guy because they do an autopsy and they find a wrapper. And instead of handing this off to the higher authorities, which I'm going to assume is probably the procedure, even back in the 90s when you did what you wanted, he's like, yeah, I'm going to just pretend to be this guy. That sounds like a laugh. Um, he also seems to be the only cop in that sheriff's station, so I don't know who else was manning it. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that, no that, that, that really confused me. I, among the many things that confused me about the script of this movie, <laughs> the fact that, that Willem Dafoe's character, Ray, is the deputy sheriff, but we have no indication that there is a sheriff. So I don't oh. know what the sheriff is doing. We never see the sheriff. Nobody all. talks about the sheriff. Um, it's just a town with a deputy sheriff and no other police. I think that yeah. there, there, there is yeah. a scene missing here where it's like Ray's getting shit from his sheriff or like there needs to be, like, obviously it's got a great, that, that opening is great kind of seeing him like riding through mm. like the kind of desert to this crime scene. But there kind of needed to be that, that moment before where it's like, I don't know, a meeting with the sheriff and he's like, Oh, there's never any fucking goddamn shit in this town. What do you think, Ray? And like, you kind of see how like kind of like browbeaten that Ray is, and kind of like he's like, yeah, I kind of got into being a cop for some excitement, and there's nothing going on. But we kind of like meet him like halfway through an ellipsis. Do you know what I mean? The film kind of starts without that kind of an understanding yeah. of who Ray is as a cop and why he wants to like go on this kind of crazy mission i know i know like we'll get into it more as we go along but yeah. i know that there are yeah. scenes and entire characters who are pretty much like written out of this film i'm looking at you mimi rogers poor poor gal like what <laughs> happened to her like not even credited in the movie Un uncredited that's like three yeah. three scenes that's like three scenes with lines is uncredited ridiculous but no i agree with you in terms of like getting to know ray's character because like that the script of this movie is really funny because like it really over explains some things and really under explains other things. <laughs> and like, like sure. basically a lot of the time we're just kind of told things of like, we don't really know who Ray's character is, but when um, M. M. Walsh's character is doing the autopsy and he's kind of joking about, you know, stealing some of the money and nobody will notice. And then he kind of goes like, of course you won't do that because you're such a straight arrow and, you know, you're so honest and all this kind of stuff. And you're kind of watching it like, is he? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I know the character enough. To kind of, like, they're really building it up that he's like this, this, you know, the straightest of straight arrows. He's like a total Boy yeah. Scout cop. And it's like, I don't really, I've not really gained that sense yet. But I'm being told it, so I guess I'm just going to accept it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that opening scene though, I got I gotta say, is great when we get to like just kind of the film just starts with like Willem Dafoe's character just getting an absolute like slamming from M. Emmett Walsh, then getting kind of like I don't a lot of sh shit by those two couple of guys who found the body. Like when he's like, uh yeah. Oh, you you need another pen? I know a store that sells a whole bunch of them. You can get your own name written on it. And then all of a sudden we get is his name uh delmar blackwater turn up as well and he's kind of cracking yeah, wise yeah, as well yeah. he's like i want to steal the scalp from the body like that's why i've turned up and it's like mm it walsh is like yeah hey we've got a whole gang of us we can we kind of like gang around and piss on your hat and stuff like that and it's like yeah, this is great this is kind of zippy and like you don't know what kind yeah. of film it's gonna be at that moment you think is this gonna be like 
I don't know, Willem Dafoe just getting shit from M. Emmett Walsh for like 90 minutes, which uh, I'm not going to lie, I would watch. I would watch <laughs> that too. Uh, and I have to say, like when M. Emmett Walsh is like riffing on uh, Ray's new hat, um, I thought, oh, that's fun. That's a, that's a nice like kind of throwaway gag. Actually, it's not a throwaway gag. In fact, this whole movie is about Ray's hat. The, the script is obsessed with Ray's hat. This this film could be retitled The Redemption of Ray's Hat. Like, just... oh, Ray Stetson starring Willem Dafoe. What I what I found in rewatching this film as well is there is that moment when the FBI kind of like grab him from his motel room and bundle him in. And you can see uh, Ruiz, one of the FBI agents, wearing the hat as well, because it's like it's so important that that obviously in the next (laughs) scene when he meets Sam Jackson's character, he's going like, where's my hat? Like like Defoe's like, where's my hat? And like (laughs) they're kind of like, oh, don't worry, we got the hat, it's fine. But yeah, you see like Ruiz wearing the hat as he like kind of come out at night with i don't know, ray wrapped in like a a rug or something like that <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they just bundle him in a fucking rug yeah yeah i thought it was just his bed sheets that they wrapped him up yeah in, no, i don't know like it, kind of, kind of, it looks a bit more rigid than bed sheets <laughs> yeah i mean he i mean the first 20 minutes or so of this film he has like a rough go of it by all accounts I suppose, obviously, just on the subject of all the characters you meet at the start, if you go into this movie with the understanding that all the best characters have written out of the movie 20 minutes in, then it's going to be absolutely fine. Because I think, and I must stress this in the strongest possible terms, um, justice for M. Emmett Walsh as Burt Gibson in this, as the um, sassy, I don't know, crime scene... Autopsy, mortician, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mortician, yeah, more like like sass- a kind of forensic scientist, pathologist kind of person. I think, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, considering <laughs> that, as far as we're aware, they are the only two people employed by this nameless backwater town in America. I'm guessing they just double up and just on any other day, like Willem Dafoe is going to be the guy who's cutting open the bodies, and Emmett Walsh is out there poking stuff with pens. Um, I like to. They're just a two man duo. Um, who really run that town into a ship shape. Um, sometimes sometimes one is the deputy, sometimes one isn't. Um, but as I said, at the start of the film, it's Bert sort of ripping on um, Bray's cowboy hat, his Stetson that his wife's bought him. Um, he says such things as, um, he just rips on his hat and says like, oh, if you nothing that pissing on it won't cure. And then... Ray is just asking, like, well, they've got a man in a suit with this briefcase sort of in his hand, full of money. Like, why would anyone come out here to kill himself? And then, like, Bert's just like, maybe his wife bought him a new hat and made him wear it. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favourite as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Ray, like, you think with sort of the quippiness of Ray and, like, those two... I don't know. They call themselves like amateur archaeologists or whatever it is at the start who find the body. Yep. You kind of think, or I thought, I should say, really, that this is going to be, um, you know, maybe more like localized sort of this neo noir thriller thing set in this town and the boundaries of this town. And obviously, it isn't. You think, oh, maybe you're going to start being introduced to like more sort of quirky small town folk like this. Um, 
And then, as you said, Petros, we get Delmar Blackwater, and he mentions, I think he mentions that the dead body is part of the, the Mescalero Apache, because he's like, I was kind of hoping for that scalp. And you think, oh, maybe there's going to be some kind of link to that going through the film as well. None of it's important. None of it's important. And I feel like from this beginning, in like another director's hand, so you get another kind of like, you get a directors who are a bit more kind of like not so journeyman so you put this in the hands of david lynch for instance you're getting like this kind of twin peaksy like do you know what i mean like uh wild mm. at heart kind of weird thing where it's yeah. like what what's going on with a town like this do you know what I mean? it's, it's almost like the it's the it is the first episode of twin peaks like you just find a dead body do you know what i mean you've got these weird characters around and then also, like, I think the the beginning of this as well reminds me of, like, the Cohen brothers. So I think if we put it in their hands, we kind of get something that is kind of a lot more understandable, a lot more tighter, a lot more quippy and funny and kind of like, um, I don't know, uh, understand the language of cinema as well. Like, we're kind of, to jump ahead slightly, but one of my gripes with this film is, like, how quickly mickey rourke's gorman lennox is deployed like especially this being like a kind of mm -hmm. take on a noir and like the you would have thought he could have kind of been eked out a bit do you know what i mean but like within within 20 minutes he's kind of going down to wherever it is to meet and he's meeting him do you know what i mean and it's kind of like oh i thought he'd be a bit more of like a kind of big bad do you know what i mean he's kind of got to work his way up the food chain a little bit to to meet this guy but it's kind of like oh no he's just kind of he is the guy he's going to meet do you know what i mean we kind of get those that bleep that do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, who, how is it you describe them uh is it annie lennox and like some ginger lady kind of like rough him up it's like where are kind of uh gorman lennox is like <laughs> yeah like rest of his goons yeah yeah they... i think she would have been like there's like i think there's a number of characters that would have uh, benefited from a bit more screen time and i think the 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 henchwoman uh, Goodman, who you know, is the one that you you were referring to as Annie Lennox. Like she's in her <laughs> like two second role, and um, where she actually gets some lines, it's quite quippy and fun. And I think like there could have been some good back and forth uh, between Ray and her in like other scenes, but like they just literally are in that that one scene, and then they're like in the background of another scene, and then that. But they're like basically out in the movie after that motel scene where they like uh, kind of accost them and strip search them for a for for a wire. It turned out I didn't quite understand why, why they were doing that at first, and then I was like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I will say one thing on yeah. that scene: it looked like a good time to me. Like, do you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't complain if I was in Ray's shoes. Do you know what I mean? You kind of getting comfy, you're getting getting stripped by a couple of ladies. Like, come on, Ray, be a bit more into it. Maybe you, maybe he should have broke bad a little bit earlier in this film, and he would have had a good time. And he's, he's he's just there in like the motel room. Obviously, he's turned up, and then he, suddenly he's attacked by sort of two women. They pin him down with like a knife and a gun to his head, and then. <laughs> Good not 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 the worst time you can think of. Um, and Scott, as you said, like at the time, this kind of makes no sense. You're like, why did any of that just happen? Who are these people? See, so you you never see. Um, I don't think she gets a name in the film. I could be wrong, but the the lady who's dressed like the room cleaner. I looked yeah. him, I looked her up in the credits. She's just listed as redhead. 
That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Redhead and Goodman. Yeah. Nice. Classic, classic Redhead erasure, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. Sick of the day to day erasure. My people deal with. Well, then she also, like, Redhead, I guess, as the character is called, she also just plants a kiss on Defoe as well. So he's just like, okay, what? And then he's trying to get some sleep, and then the fucking FBI fucking chin him when he's sleeping as well. <laughs> so I would be giving that motel an absolute one star on TripAdvisor. And there is a, I'm like, comfortable bed, pros, cons, 80% you're going to get the fuck beaten out of you. <laughs> and Security's a bit lax. Security's yeah. a little lax. Turns out there's a lot of doors that people can just enter your fucking room from. <laughs> Pros, good water pressure. Um, <laughs> so, I'd be, I would be raging. Like if I'm like, right, I've packed for one night. All of my clothes have been cut off. I'm down to nothing but my goddamn tighty whities here. Uh, the FBI have mistaken me for someone else and absolutely shooed me in. My breakfast hasn't turned up because the, the, the lady who cleaned my room turns out she's a fucking criminal. The One half of the Eurythmics just fucking need me in the groin. <laughs> it's like, one star out of five would stay again. But did have hat storage. Hat storage. Outstanding. But, you know, throughout all of this, throughout all of these many assaults, my hat remained uncreased. Fantastic so, hat and, storage. And the the hat was the most important thing, you know. As as we've previously pointed out, the first thing Ray asked about is that goddamn hat. You've been taking <laughs> care of my hat. Yes. All right. I'm fine then. The, the accosting, I, I can I can let it lie. Listen, you know, we can we can let slide a lot of things, but hat damage is where the gun comes out, and I just start pointing at people and fucking shaking, <laughs> trembling. God, I want a fucking cowboy hat. I want one so bad. <laughs> this is an interesting film to talk about in like the career of Sam Jackson as well, because obviously this is like pre Pulp Fiction, which I feel like his career is, especially in the nineties, delineated by that, right? And like, I'm not sure how you guys felt on this, but yep. for me, it like, it felt like he's almost he's like kind of edging into Jules Winfield territory in like this character, like the kind of is it uh, um, Mika who he plays? Like, he's kind of like, and he's he's got that great kind of opening gambit when he's like speaking to Ray, like, do you like snapshots, Ray? And he's like going through like like photographs. I think that that's like a really cool introduction to a character and like, te like, do you know what I mean? Like a, a cool sen sentiment as well. Like that kind of thing of, you don't get the full picture just from a snapshot. You don't know what happened before. You don't know what happened after it. And it's like, it's st like stuff like that was like really like intriguing me into the film. But like, okay, it's got, it's got, it's got some, it's, it might, it's got some stuff to say, even though I feel like uh, this film has been like hacked up a little bit. Mm. Yeah. I think we, we, I think yeah, the other day we were sort of touching on this before. Like it, it does feel in a way that there are, Definitely some scenes on the cutting room floor, which maybe would have given some more context. And again, I think, Scott, going back to something you said earlier, obviously we don't really know who Ray is as a person. For all intents and purposes, he as the deputy sheriff of this town has stumbled upon potentially like a big case, like this big FBI case. 
and instead of going through the proper process and handing it off, is like, I want in in that. I want a little bit of this of this pie. You know, if they'd said something with him like, I think they said, oh, there was actually a deputy and and a sheriff and the head of the police and whatever, and Ray was trying to do something more or go up the chain, um, or if they'd had some issues with the FBI or something, like, this is how I get back at them, I take this case. But this is just Willem Dafoe calling random numbers, not winding his neck in as I, as the tagline <laughs> I came up with stresses and just getting involved in a case that really has nothing to do with him at all, whilst also, you know, being described as, I think, what does Bert say about him? He's as determined as a dog with two dicks. I did. I wrote that. One, I wrote that one down as as well. I I thought I thought it was a quality line. But yeah, I you know the Ray is yeah is kind of unknowable in that 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 first kind of twenty minutes. Um, so we don't really know why he goes after this investigation. Also, I did that reminds me that I do love when like a script calls out its own bullshit, where like where it basically Ray's like I should go undercover, and they're like, and then one of the FBI agents is like. Now that doesn't seem right. Now, like he's got no undercover experience, and then they're like, "Actually, wait a minute. No, maybe it's fine. It'll be fine." <laughs> <laughs> he's, 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 he's already done a bit of the legwork. Let's, let's let him in. And there's like other things. Like I think to, to the point of like how this film, like some of it is missing. Like on rewatch, I definitely noticed the sun. Uh, his lines are ADR'd when he's speaking to Ray, like when he's leaving, like the uh, the sheriff station, because he says like "See you later, Dad," and it's like really like thingy. And then there is a scene as Ray is leaving where he says, "Bye, Ray." And like I did some digging, and like there was a whole kind of subplot of this film where Mimi Rogers was like more involved, and she like. Yeah, raise her like second partner. Like he's the he's the stepdad, and she had like a tough time. Like uh, the guy, I think, died. Like her first husband, and she's like kind of getting the jitters that Ray is gonna like leave her. So like comes on a pursuit to find to find him, and does it via Delmar Blackwater, and like that's why we kind of get him turn up again in the film because there's that moment right. He's flying the helicopter oh. when they. Yeah, yeah, when they yeah, go yeah. out to that drug yeah. deal and he, well, that, that 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 gun deal, and he kind of says to him like, "Okay, Bob," like a kind of knowing thing, and it's like it's moments like that that obviously just in a in a film that should be straightforward, like leave you going like, "Why? Why is why is Delmar Blackwater here?" Like that feels like it should be something significant, and then you never see him again. Do you know what I mean? And it's like if if yeah. and I think I think Roger Donaldson shot them, but I think the the reason for from listening to an interview with uh, Daniel Pine, the reason that the the Mimi Rogers stuff got cut out was like she had zero chemistry with or together they had no chemistry. Let's not put on Mimi Rogers. Uh, Willem Dafoe and her had like zero chemistry together. So they were like, it's just not working. Like, like nobody's going to believe these people are, are together. People, people much, much more believe that Willem Dafoe is the kind of guy who will like go on a mission on his own and then potentially fuck another woman, even though he's got a, a wife who's bought him a lovely hat at home. Oh, so, so they had such little chemistry that Mimi got uncredited 
in yeah. the film. <laughs> That's pretty oh, brutal. Uh, it's, the, it's the 90s for you, baby, isn't it? That is, that is the, if anything is a demarcation of a, uh, of a decade, it is that. It's like, yeah, the, the woman's got to go. It truly oh, was dear. a different, yeah. truly was a different time. I mean, that yeah. that feels like it sort of rings true because, you know, with, with her character, I think Molly was the name of the character, I think. Um, you know, it's not like she doesn't get any dialogue and it's not like she's entirely unimportant to the movie because, you know, she's sort of there to wave Ray off at the start and then there's the FBI internal affairs agents that come and visit her later on. Um, and, like, even the son who's always, like, riding around on his bike, um, I can't say I was entirely sure what his name was because at the start of the film, Ray calls him Ace and then later on, Molly calls him Ben. Um, and I wasn't even sure if he was Ray's kid because when he's leaving at the start, he doesn't say bye, Dad. The kid says, bye, Ray. I'm like, yeah, who yeah. are you, boy? <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was a bit confused by that relationship as well. I was like... I'm not sure that he is here, Dan. <laughs> yeah, because I had in my notes, I was like, oh, is this the first time we've seen Defoe play an on-screen dad? And then it's like, no, I don't think he's the dad. He's he's a stepdad. And, like, it kind of, like, made me think of the question, like, has Defoe got big stepdad energy? Like, like it feels like it was a thing in the 90s. <laughs> this body of evidence is yeah. stepdad. He's like, he's kind of got that kind of thing of like, yeah. it's not a guy who's got a father. He might step in, but then get like, go wayward. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, f- films that are very similar. Do you know what I mean? He's, 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 he's playing a straight arrow, but you can see it in his eyes that he's a fucking freak. <laughs> <laughs> God. And another thing on the kid, I want to say is that like you would have thought that Ray would have stole some of that money just so he could buy the kid a fucking kickstand for his bike. Like all he's ever doing is he's getting somewhere and he's just lobbing that bike down like nobody's business. Do you know what I mean? It's like fucking like it's, and it's clearly a thing like that's yeah, the he thing. Is. He is. <laughs> Sub- yeah, he's really kind of bashing that bike about. Subtextually, yeah, sure. there's like a thing as well. Like that, that's where I think the stepdad thing comes. Is Ray is like he hasn't got he doesn't feel like he's got the authority to tell him like, hey buddy, pick up your bike, watch that bike. Do you know what I mean? It's like he's not quite there yet, and it's like I mm. wish we had had more of that. Do you know what I mean? I wish we had more of the Ray try- and, and 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 I think that that idea of him being a stepdad thematically works for the film, right? He is a man stepping into the shoes of another man. Like, he's he, he's doing it in his relationship. Mm-hmm. He's doing it with this kind of sting operation. And, like, I guess, like, even, yeah, thematically this film, like, is kind of, it, 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 shoe, it shoehorns things in the, there's, there's that great kind of, 90s trope i love when like some a line is important or something like that where like you get a few times a rage driving in his car and and you'll hear like lines reverberating in his head do you know what i mean like it's not white sand kid it's just gypsum and it's like it's kind of like oh yeah that's that's what the film's all about like do you know what i mean you think it's sand but it's not it's something else baby yeah. <laughs> Although I did, I did laugh kind of the first time that happens because, like, because he um, drives away from the town to go on his mission to to go to the motel, and this is like seventeen yeah. minutes into the film, 
and he has all these lines reverberating in his head. And I'm like, why are we recapping the film 17 minutes into the film? I mean, there's hand-holding and there's hand-holding. So why are you making me remember? I was there. It's like kind of, I think it's like purpose. They like, this film is inevitably going to end up on cable. This is going to be for those people who catch it. <laughs> post first ad break do you know what i mean like <laughs> it's, oh, what's this up to? it's one of yeah. the phone driving in the car uh, i wonder what happened before this so you're gonna go after that you're gonna pretend to be this ray, this barb guy are you ray like do you know I mean? oh okay i think i'm caught up now yeah here we go let's 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 chug on <laughs> that's not it. got all the details there's a dead body there's some cash he's going to pretend to be somebody okay we're off to the races I, I it's, you know at this point you know channel five was just a glint in the proverbial milkman's eye but they knew that this film was going to be on at like half 11 on a wednesday night channel five <laughs> This is like, you know, respect. <laughs> Just after the latest Shannon tweet picture that they've shown. Well, respectfully, because again, I kind of like this film. This is where it belongs. On Channel 5, yeah. <laughs> 2 in the morning, the middle of the fucking week, where everything's got a place. This is where this film belongs. I didn't even think of that because it's like, oh, he said, oh, you're doing that reverberation and that like flashback stuff. And then there's me just not putting two, two together. I was, in my stupid brain, instead of this being the film's way of saying, oh, some of these things have deeper meaning than what you realise. I would just sat there going, he's remembering. Um, I like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking film literate. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. I did media studies in GCSE and got a B. Thank you very fucking much. Um, but then he, uh, obviously at this point, he's been just assaulted. He's been uh, given the FBI sort of heads up that um, with Greg Meeker, who is the character played by Samuel L. Jackson, that the guy they found that was dead um, was a guy called Bob Spencer, or he might be called Artie O'Brien. I wasn't sure which one of those was his actual name. I think it was Artie O'Brien. Artie O'Brien's real name, Bob Spencer, was his undercover kind of uh, informant name. Was my understanding. Uh, yeah, I think that one makes a bit more sense. But every now and then they just like throw in Artie, and I'm like. Let's not make this film any more complicated for me than it needs to be. Um, <laughs> all right, let's just keep it nice and simple. Um, and as we said, Ray, rather than do the honourable thing of like, look, maybe I'm a little bit, uh, in, you know, in my head here, I'm a stepdad, I'm a step-sheriff. Oh, some people call me the sheriff <laughs> who stepped up with his little deputy sheriff badge on there. Um, the FBI, <laughs> the easily convinced FBI are just kind of like, yeah, this guy's got no fucking skills in the field. And as we find out when he talks to Lennox, cannot lie or carry a, a, a fucking bit for shit. Uh, but they just <laughs> let him go into it with, I think, one of my favorite lines and just the way that Willem Dafoe, the close-up on Willem Dafoe's face is, is like, Bob, I can be a Bob. <laughs> that is one of the greatest lines of all time. And then we meet Lennox, who I think upon, you know, now we're sort of discussing it like here for the podcast, I do feel in a way that maybe Lennox was introduced a little too early. There's mm. not... I think they could have built a little bit more mystery. Watching this movie the second time, especially like the first 30 minutes, I was I didn't really catch it the first time, but I was like... I didn't realise how kind of quickly this movie just fires through stuff just to get from like point to point to point to point. Um, 
And then, the, you know, he's speaking with Lennox, played by Mickey Rourke, who immediately racks on the hat. Um, he says he's an art broker. They are looking at buying... They buy a painting from Roz and then just yeah. bin it. Roz is thrown away. Don't worry about Roz. She's gone. I thought that was quite a cool moment, though, when, like, you think, like, like when he gets dug out by... Lennox for like throwing the painting in the bin and he's like that could be what she came out here man like that could be her dreams you've just thrown them in the trash like that and it's like oh okay like who like it kind of I don't know it kind of intrigued me more to who who Lennox was obviously you got Mickey Rourke kind of like in his lounge lizard kind of mode here with that kind of like I don't know, like a parakeet style hairdo. Do you know what I mean? It's like a kind of, it's like a parrot, doesn't it? With that kind of like swept back kind of bouffant that he's he's rocking and stuff like that. And then you mentioned Roz, played by Beth Grant. This is like that. That is like one of those moments where you're like, whoa, you mm-hmm. probably do the like Leo DiCaprio like meme where you're like, oh, there, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> I think like the, 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 the movie in, is like that like kind of throughout like i think like one of the kind of M- mvps of the film is the casting director because every small character doesn't matter how small the mm. role is it's like oh there's him emmett walsh oh there's beth grant oh there's james redporn it like every like everybody's got like a great character actor even if they've got like one line yeah. in the movie it's, it's it's really quite fun and who's it is it yeah steve tyler of- the guy who's like that kind of like blonde FBI agent who keeps tailing him, like the like the guy who like at one point he oh, grabs yeah. him in the elevator and then like he twats him with that log later on and like him and Samuel Jackson are at the rodeo, <laughs> like with the most like in like least inconspicuous like uh surveillance like thing. He's got like this big antenna going up and they're kind of like got the headphones on like, yeah, we're listening, we're listening out for something. It's like, what the fuck are you two doing? <laughs> God, 90s surveillance is the fucking best. Yeah. <laughs> so just the obvious just like white van parked out the front of your fucking house kind of thing. Like I didn't order any fucking pest control. What the fuck is <laughs> the fuck is going on there? I mean just I think just quickly, you know, on the point of like the casting, that FBI agent who's just very obviously following Ray throughout the movie and gets beaten up a few times because he's so shit at his job. Um, Three times, I think. God, God, you have to remove yourself from like field work if you keep getting caught by the same person, right? You have to fucking stop. There's that bit where we've met Lane by this point, who is sort of Ray's sort of big wigging sort of uh, associate in the world of all these deals that he does. And she's kind of, I guess I don't really know, because she seems to be aware that, I guess that wants to, you know, we'll we'll, we'll get into all, all like the Lane stuff, but the FBI agent, there's that bit where he's listening to them take a shower together, uh, Ray and Lane, and then Ray, even though he loves his wife, he will kiss another woman at the drop of a proverbial cowboy hat. <laughs> and she's just making all like the sex noises, obviously just to distract the FBI agent. And then one of my next favorite lines is the guy just listening with his headphones going, get down, Ray, get down. <laughs> I'm like, you fucking dude. 
You absolute fucking dude. I reckon if Ray like didn't come in and swat him with that log, he would have been like fucking pants down within a minute. Do you know what I mean? Like, fucking here we go. He's getting saucing up now. Oh yeah, that guy would have absolutely been like reaching for the hand lotion bottle and like the tissues. <laughs> no fucking question in my mind. <laughs> Him getting assaulted with that plank is the best thing that could have happened to him. <laughs> Divine intervention. <laughs> or Davine intervention, I should say. Defoe um, intervention. <laughs> big Defoe intervention. Then obviously through Ray, we meet Lane. We sort of learn that Ray is he's not an arts broker. He's actually a uh, like an arms dealer, I, I think is the, the thing there. He's... Yeah, I was I was never too clear about what it is that he's actually doing, but he wants the industrial military complex to sort of continue is kind of his whole thing. And he's using this FBI money or whatever it is to buy weapons directly from some people in the military and then it doesn't happen. And then Ray fucking absolutely botches a negotiation and makes them owe more money. And then they have to go through Lane to do that. So Lane is Mary Elizabeth Astrantonio, mm -hmm. uh, Leigh Bodine. She's like the wealthy associate. And very quickly, she knows that Bob isn't Bob, but she's sort of playing along with the whole thing anyway. And what do you sort of make of Lane's character? Because for a lot of it, she kind of seemed like she's kind of almost a device that just helps things get moved along. But I think, Scott, what, what was your sort of take on like Lane in the whole story of White Sands? I think the the character is played that i think the reason this movie ends up being enjoyable and the reason it's like fun in the end is because of the cast like and it because everybody mm -hmm. plays the role really well and i think lane is typical of that where i re enjoy mary elizabeth mastriano in the uh, uh, in the role um but the character kind of like you say is a bit of a device also much like it doesn't make sense that Ray obsessively goes after this case, it doesn't make sense that Lane... Uh, like, as much as I love Willem Dafoe, it doesn't make sense that Lane immediately falls in love with Ray in, like, two seconds and is completely yeah. smitten with him for, like, no reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think this says more about yeah. your taste in men, actually, Scott, than, uh, than Lane. So <laughs> I think we're projecting. I think we're projecting. Uh, I, I get, I get, I get that though. I get entirely what you mean. It's like I know you're not Bob, but at the same time, I need you to cheat on your wife for me. <laughs> it's you know, like the song at the end says, "Quicksand and lies, baby. Quicksand and lies." I just found it's with all of the characters. I didn't quite understand. It's kind of the biggest problem with this film. You don't understand most characters' like logic for doing things. Like it's you've really got to take a jump to even understand why Ray is doing this, and then kind mm. of like every everyone else, like yeah, like Lane. Like why is she so invested? Like what? Like because the film kind of like slows slows down to 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 a degree in the middle when we're kind of like once once we go to the arms deal and then it's like them doing that like uh ray and lennox kind of yeah like pitching to 
lane that they should like she should stump up some more money and then they have like some kind of weird fundraiser and we kind of get like this this carrot dangled of like this this story having like bigger bigger implications and like stuff that's going on in like south america and stuff like that which is all really i do love i I do love that we've got all these all these cut scenes in the movie but we still need to include the time filling uh, check filling out montage that we yeah. get. <laughs> yeah, some they did some sweet checks in the nineties. Was that one with like the big red font and like, the swirly arrows? Like <laughs> signs here. I was like, that's fucking dope. I'll never use a check in my life because I'm not a class traitor. But if I did, it'd be some fucking ridiculous nineties checks. <laughs> all the oversized ones they give out at like competitions and awards. Those be one no in between. There's no in between. Uh but I I digress. Yeah, but when we get to like that section of the film, like because I remember like first time watching it, I was like, when it started to pick up again, I kind of looked at the running time and I was like, oh, we've got like twenty five minutes left of the movie. And it feels like we've got so much to pack in. And it kind of just like yeah. wraps up in like a breakneck like pace. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, we're just getting we're just getting into it. And then obviously stuff is set up and not really paid off. Obviously, like we've got the arms deal, like whole thing. And it's like, oh, like there is a version of this movie where this doesn't really end because then you've got those two guys who like are owed the money. Like we're not there's no explanation of like well, they're going to be pissed off, right? They've got five... Oh, I guess they're not because they've got 500 grand up front and then uh, don't don't have, to, don't have to worry about the... Yeah, don't have to worry about giving up the goods. But it's like mm. at least their noses would be bent out of shape. Like they're kind of like thrown to the wayside and then it's like, I don't know, at the end I was like, oh, is this, is this it? Like in a weird way. Like, And, and I, I, still, I still enjoyed it, but at the same time it was a kind of a bit like, Oh, okay. Like we're we're getting to the end game so quickly. Do you know what I mean? And it's like I don't know. There's there's almost too many twists and turns in this person, and like and we haven't even got onto the fact of like Noreen. Like that that's like a subplot. Jeez, I, for, I forgot all about Noreen. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about Noreen. Oh God. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the point with this film. That it's like, it's like ninety ninety five minutes which most of the time, you know, I think I've said it before, huge advocate of the 90-minute movie, lovely stuff, they always go nice and quick. But then this one just feels weirdly paced. Like, as I said earlier, it feels like the start goes quick, and then it goes slow, and then it goes quick, and then it goes slow, and then, like, there's two minutes left of this film, and they have 17 plot threads left to resolve, um, which kind of goes all over the place. Obviously, Noreen is... Um, we learned she was having like an affair with Artie um, or maybe Spencer as she knew him. We don't know the full nitty gritty of that. And then she's, you know, basically as quick as we meet Noreen, she's sort of gone again because she gets killed by the FBI. Um, Because spoiler alert, it turns out that the FBI are somewhat of a bad person. Well, it's, it's really Samuel L. Jackson in his little tighty whiteies when he's not fighting Ray in a bedroom. <laughs> um, he is the bad guy. Um, so what was it? Like he said that he found sort of the 500,000 
because he wanted to steal it and use it to capture Lennox at the same time. Um, and then he persuaded Artie to kill himself because Artie was going to like back out of the plan or something like that. Um, which it, in the same way, it kind of feels like for him, it's like, why is he got like the spotless record? No one's going to believe Ray if he tries to like turn him in when sort of Ray figures out that it was him doing it. You still kind of think though, right, if it was your plan to, or part of the plan to steal this 500,000 the whole time, was it part of your plan to just leave the briefcase full of money on this guy that anyone could have just came along and stole, which you know, those archaeologist guys at the start could have as well. Like, was that ever addressed, or was that just another one of the many plot holes here? And like, well, <laughs> no, that was never that well, was never addressed. It was never addressed why why Meeker uh, didn't you know didn't take the money when he, he, he and it, it also like because like you know uh, the um, Artie stroke Bob he's got like the car that's like you know he's you know, so we're not sure. I mean, it seems like it's in the middle of the desert, so we're not quite sure how Maker returned to civilization either, to be honest. Uh, so, yeah, it's very confusing. I don't even know why they're in the desert in the first place. Yeah. Why there? There's like, I think they're like, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. <laughs> this is like, I don't know, episode six of like a 10 part series. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> This is like episode six yeah. to This nine. is like a season of True Detective. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But like, kind of like, oh, fuck it. We've like, uh, we run out of yeah. budget, so we're going to have to make some work out of this. <laughs> I know you've, we, it's like, you've, as you said, you've just jumped in halfway through and this is kind of the arrogance of being like, I'm sure it will make sense. I'm sure I can catch up. Um, turns out some shows you do have to watch from the start. Which it, it feels like, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. White Sands is the second season of a show, and it's six episode uh, episode where you've arrogantly assumed you can catch up and makes make it make sense, and then you get annoyed with yourself because it doesn't make <laughs> sense, and you fast forward to the end and you blame the show <laughs> for not being welcoming. I mean, there's probably like a thousand more plot threads that I'm just sort of blanking on at the moment. Well, there's 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 one glaring thing in this film as well. It's like a million dollars to like arm a militia in South America does not sound like a lot of money. Do you know what I mean? Like, what are you really like? You're not getting a lot for a million dollars, even in 1992, are you? No, I, I don't, I don't think so. No, not even, not even just over 30 years ago, you probably wouldn't get uh, that, that much. They're like making out like they are funding like an uprising. Do you know what I mean? Like they're like, <laughs> like funding a whole army, and it's like, nah, you're getting maybe like a tank and like a cu couple of AK forty sevens. Do you know what I mean? Like here and there, like you get you get you get a decent stash, but not like enough to kind of. Do you know what I mean? Especially when we get the reveal that Lennox is this like fucking C, uh, I'm C fucking IA, Bobby. And like, he, his whole thing is that he's trying to, he's like this agent of chaos who is, his whole thing is to just kind of keep on like stirring the pot of civil unrest in these countries. So the, like the military industrial complex can keep ticking over and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, well, like, 
how are you doing that with just like pumping in a million dollars? Do you know what I mean? Like, and how, why are you doing it in this such this weird convoluted way? And also, like, I do just feel like this is kind of very kind of shoehorned in. I think like there's there's a bunch of action movies um, in like the kind of late 80s and very early 90s where obviously the Iran-Contra affair was still in the consciousness and they were just like, they would just like shoehorn that in of just being like, ah, oh, and there's a dodgy CIA agent and, you know, like, oh, of course they're funding revolutions, you know, where they shouldn't be or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk, talked about your first ever film being Clear and Present Danger because that is very much about that kind yeah. of thing, right? About like the CIA kind of pumping money into like South America and stuff like that. And that is like, that is up front and center in that film. And it's obviously uh, Jack Ryan trying to like uncover like the, these dodgy dealings and stuff like that, that is like leading to this. And it's like almost like bringing up a subject matter like that in this film just kind of confuses the stew. And it's like, it could just, it should have just been drugs. It should have just been a big drug deal. Cause then as soon as you start like, mm-hmm. But then I think as soon as you do that, it kind of like Lane then completely loses. I mean, it's kind of like it's a lose-lose situation because it's like she doesn't have the impetus as her character to feel like she's like right on. She's kind of funding these like just causes in her mind and stuff like that. So it's like it's kind of like I'm not sure if it's like a script issue or like kind of other stuff got cut out like that from the script and maybe filmed that kind of like amplified some of that stuff a bit more and kind of made it make more sense but as it stands it's kind of like i don't know it just yeah it feels like a morsel or something that kind of at the end of it you're like oh i kind of like i wanted more than a bite of that burger yeah you're kind of like just whipping it away from me once i've kind of like just sunk my teeth in you know what I mean? like, okay thanks <laughs> Yeah, and I suppose for me being, you know, as I've said before, one of the silliest geese in all of podcasting, um, they say, you know, this is, we want to keep the military-industrial complex going. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, (laughs) but it sounds bad. Um, So so they're just me giving it like, like, I assume this is bad because the bad person said it's good, therefore it bad. Yeah, so you, you get Lennox with a little CIA reveal and he's like, I don't officially ex- exist on the whole grand scheme of things. Um, and then I think the reveal sort of comes and then he, you, you find out that he's known that Ray isn't Bob the whole time. Um, so everyone's sort of been playing everyone else. And then... It, sort of leads towards this sort of confrontation in that industrial hangar warehouse toilet thing, whatever it is, where uh, Sam Jackson's handcuffed to that railing, but Ray gives him a gun and then manages to lead... um, uh, What's his face? I completely blanked on his name now. Uh, Meeker. Lennox. Are you talking about Meeker, the FBI agent, or Lennox, the CIA I've completely lost my mind because of how many twists and turns this film throws at you at the end. You know, like, like we were saying, like the last twenty yeah. minutes was like, oh, the, the 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 pacing goes like da 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 da, and then suddenly it's like 
let's throw about five fucking Holy Mary grenades right at the end of this movie um, and then just have Ray just come out on top of it so that everyone just fucking kills everyone else and then Mika kills Lennox and then the FBI come for Mika and then he's running through the desert and he's... But his briefcase is full of sand because, I don't know, symbolism or some shit. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> um, I don't care at this point. Who gives a shit? Um, and then Bray just, like, goes back to Lane and then she's like, "I well, I like your hat. Do you love your wife? I sure do. Let's fucking kiss. Um, <laughs> and then he drives home to the song Quicksand and Lies. And then at that, at that point, and, I, and, and Scott, I'd be curious to know, like, you know, the whole kind of, I don't know, showdown, for lack of a better term, what your thoughts are on that. But this is what I mean. By the time the end of the film comes along, like, I'm not going to say that I sort of understood every single part of it, but I was like, yeah, decent. Yeah, yeah, I'm into yeah, that. Yeah. That's, that's what, that was all right, that. And so with all the ending of it, just throwing all these twists and turns, uh, you know, throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks, with that kind of last sort of 20 minutes or so, what were your sort of takes and thoughts on how it all started wrapping up as well there, Scott? Well, it all got a bit confusing. And I, did, I just I got the sense of like... Now, I know you were saying that there was maybe some scenes cut out, so maybe this is not entirely the script's fault. Maybe the script, as written, you know, kind of made more sense. But as it was filmed and the film we actually got, it makes, yeah, the script not look so good. And it does seem like we're just kind of throwing twist upon twist for, for the sake of it, of like, oh, okay, so, so Meeker's bad. And... and Gorman works for the government for some reason. And and apparently, even though he's just a CIA agent, you know, like um, apparently he can just summarily execute internal affairs FBI agents and there's no consequences. And and there's, there's <laughs> so many, there's just so many things going on at once. And and it, you know, it's just like but it, it's kind of one of those weird things where I think that the last 20 minutes of the film like packs in all these twists. And you're just kind of like constantly like, what now? Does that make sense? I'm not sure. Uh, and then you get to Quicksand and Lies and you're like, this is a fun 90s ending to a film. Uh, I think <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. The, the amount of heavy lifting a fucking great credit song can do <laughs> and just make you completely forgive the rest of the film is insane. Yeah. You yeah, just got to leave absolutely. them. Absolutely. <laughs> You just got to leave them on a high note, right? You got to kind of, you got to like, do you know what I mean? You play, you play the hit at the end of a gig, and then the crowd are going out into the street, going, "Well, they played, they played last night. I guess the strokes are great." Like, do you know what I mean? We're going to forget the the hour they played new stuff, but you know, fucking last night, best best night of my life. <laughs> I know. I think we're going to start from going forward, Petros. We're going to start dubbing this the Strokes Defense. <laughs> 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 that's true though yeah. that, that's, i mean that's absolutely true you know you sometimes you go to a gig and it's a bit hit and miss but then they come back for the encore and those three songs in the encore <laughs> absolutely slay and you're like great gig it was a great gig yeah, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you gotta leave them on a high right like they say it with like yeah. comedy right you gotta go out on a bang otherwise like if you go out with like an existential question you just have people wandering the streets going like 
Oh, what the fuck is going on with my life? Do you know what I mean? If you're Mickey Flanagan, you got to end on out-out. Otherwise, it's like people just like, yeah, I loved it. Ah. That's I like that, that's absolutely true because like I've been to a lot of comedy shows like when because you know I, I grew up in Edinburgh so I was always going to fringe shows and then there became like this there became this time in the 2010s where there's this like particular formula where you would get 40 minutes of jokes 15 minutes of serious stuff and then another five minutes of jokes to, on your way home and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, the the 40 minute dead dad bit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. The 40-minute meaning. That's why this whole show had a had an overarching narrative. Yeah, the, the serious bit of the 40-minute mark followed by um, Last Night by the Strokes. Like, <laughs> I never doubted this gig for a fucking second. I knew it was going to be sweet. <laughs> so what we're saying is every every film should end with Last Night by the Strokes and then you just go, oh, fucking great. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> there, was that, there was that meme a little while ago when it was like, I don't know, I'm going to start aging the podcast here, where like people were just like editing this um, like Linkin Park like song ending to just stuff like the very like Michael Bay Transformers oh, thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, this is basically the strokes defense. I'm gonna, I'm gonna act like I, I fucking created the whole thing. I, I, not to, not to derail this podcast completely, but have you seen how perfectly that Linkin Park song works on Oppenheimer? It is. Oh no! I'm like, not. it is amazing because I think the, I think the opening line is like, "Can't believe what I've done," and it's like what I've done, and then obviously like the. Yeah, like the like that is like kind of Oppenheimer's kind of finishing thoughts on life, isn't it? It's like I created this bomb, and this is not spoiling Oppenheimer, guys. If you haven't seen it, yeah. this is this is history, baby. Not not to de- not to de- not to derail us any further, but, <laughs> but on Let's on Lincoln, the rails. on Lincoln Park, the only <laughs> film I can think about that actually the Lincoln Park is the end credit song is Dracula 2000, which is hilarious because <laughs> because we've got Jared Butler as Dracula. We've got, like, loads of product placement for Virgin Megastore. You're, like, you get to the end of the movie and you're like, you're like, wow, this movie cannot get more 2000 than this. And then Linkin Park hits the end credits. You're like, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> This is what I mean. The heavy lifting a great credit song can do um, absolutely saves everything. And this is what I mean. Like he was—he's driving down the road. Ray's driving down the road at the end of this. Quicksand and Lies is playing. By this point, I'm—I've stood out up from my sofa. I'm fist pumping the air. Tears are running down my face. <laughs> not coming out. Like I can't see because it's just like a wet haze going on all over my face at the moment. I go Quicksand and Lies. <laughs> Um, this is this is what I mean. Like all that stuff k- kicks off. You know, Lane goes back to her life of just high-profile dinners and writing checks for more war crimes. I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, like Mika has been arrested. Lennox is dead. Um, as far as Ray's wife is concerned, nothing happened that she needs to be aware of. <laughs> Um, everything ties up so fucking neatly. 
Um, so we, it's because we like it's not it's not cheating unless it's unless it's full sex. That's that's the that's what this film is saying. Like you can be naked in the yeah. shower with somebody, you can kiss somebody, but you know unless it's full, <laughs> it's not cheating. Yeah, like, those are the rules. Those are the rules that I've heard from the men memos I get all the time. In this version of the film, in the filmed version of this film, like we are supposed to believe that Ray just goes home and just goes. I said I'd be back tomorrow. I guess I wasn't. Like, and she's supposed to be like, "Yeah, that's fine, Ray. Cool. Like, let's get back to it." Like, the 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 sheriff's been wondering where you are as well. I think you might have lost your job. Yeah, this this will count as unauthorized absence, Ray. I hope you yeah. are. Yeah, he's he's got no job. He's got no wife. He's got no stepson. M. Emmett Walsh is maybe on the fence about being friends with him. He didn't steal any of that money. The guy's got nothing. He's got his hat. Like, he's got his hat, actually. He's got that hat. <laughs> he's got that hat that is that is just like kind of bitter memories of what his life could have been if he'd stayed around with Mimi Rogers. No, I, don't, I, I guess if I'm looking into it way too deeply, reading between the lines, I assume that the hat is supposed to be this symbolic connection of him and his wife uh but then you just think like oh that's nice but then you remember they have no fucking chemistry and like oh well you know f- fucking what's the point nice hat though decent well, i i i think the symbolism of the hat for me is like at the end of the day he comes out on top he is the literal like to use that term he is the white hat do you know what I mean like when you think mm. of like in kind of like uh western terminology of like, you, do you know what I mean, the, the white hat and the, the the black hat as the villain. He is the white hat guy. Do you know what I mean? He is he is that straight. He he turns out to be that straight arrow that, like, we were teased that he was at the beginning. And it's like, yeah, but we've seen him for the past ninety minutes. Not be that guy. Do you know what I mean? He's like he's cheated on his wife. Like he's kind of like gone undercover when he really shouldn't have done. Like he's kind of probably committed a crime in the first instance by like unauthorized like yeah. what he stole he's essentially identity theft in pretending to be someone else he's basically stolen he's essentially stolen fbi money at one point he's stolen evidence like he's committed a lot of crimes he's supposed to be like yeah but he's a good guy at the end it's all it's all okay like, yeah. ray saves the day i think like that's an interesting thing as well because like in terms of like him being a straight arrow and this this kind of by the book kind of guy, like I'm not as as much as I really I, I do enjoy Defoe's performance in this. Like he plays him with a slightly kind of cheeky mischievous energy, which I think is just natural to to, to Defoe. And I did <laughs> I did I did laugh when I looked up the IMTB trivia and Morgan Creek, the production company who made this, originally were thinking about giving this part to Kevin Costner. And Kevin Costner to Willem <laughs> Dafoe is not a lateral move. Just, just going <laughs> to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Costner's believable. Yeah, it's like, it's like the, the ultimate kind of by-the-book all-American guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dafoe, not so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dafoe's got the look that he likes a finger up his bum. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's like... Uh... <laughs> The cheeky to finger. <laughs> I know. I, th- I think it's it's one of those things that we've spoken about before, though. Like, as much as we love the foe, there are some times where he's like a leading man, 
and then you just kind of think like it's it's, it's the Costner versus the foe argument of a uh, you know with Co- with Kevin Costner in a much more believable casting you know maybe probably but you know I'm not going to argue that we get some more the foe in there and it gives well, us just some some just wonderful the opportunities for him just to be cast with a woman that's definitely out of his characters league. Um, <laughs> I guess the defense of all of this in that you can argue, I don't know how this would stand up in court, the courts of 92, um, but you can argue it was not Ray Dozel making these crimes. It was Bob Spencer too. Exactly. That's true. Exactly. That's true. Exactly. So, you know, and that ladies and gentlemen, is the Strokes defence and they played last night as I high-five everyone or the jury, I was high-fiving everyone, just like dabbing with the judge and like the jurors' benches as well, you know. And that's like, oh my God, he's done it again. Daryl's won another fucking case. I can't believe he's done it. Incredible scenes in the law. Um, but on, you know, that sort of legal nonsense, I think it's time we start coming to the wrap-up portion of the episode for White Sands. And as ever, we have three very integral pieces of business to attend to. The first of which is, does Willem Dafoe do deface? Uh, Does he pull a deface in which you think, yeah, that is textbook fucking Dafoe right there. As ever, we start these little roundtable portions with the guests. So Scott, for you, was there a deface? Uh, Yes or no? So... This is uh, not not high on the defenses. Um, obviously, um, he's mainly playing it quite quite straight, kind of quite dialed in. Um, but I'm going to say yes because there is two points. I think he does at the face. The first point is he's like trying to find the right number for the contact Goodman, the Annie Lennox character, and um, mm. he's phoning around. And he eventually gets the right number. And he talks to, her, uh, talks to her and he puts the phone down and he flashes a classic devilish grin to M. Emmett Walsh. So that was one deface. <laughs> and there's a second one where he's talking about like the, um, the different contexts which he could exist in um, when he's having dinner um, with the, the, the Lane character. And then Lane says, oh, which is those ones, which one of those am I attracted to? And then just after that, again, he gives a classic Defoe devilish grin. So I think there's two defaces in the movie uh, that I I kind of uh, noticed. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic spots. Petros, same question for yourself. Defaces, yay or nay? I've got to admit, after the first one that I saw, which is that that one you mentioned, Scott, which like I think you underplayed because it's not just like a rictus grin; it's the foe wiggling his eyebrows as well, yeah, like, right. and it's kind of very knowing, like yeah, I'm up to some naughty shit right now. Don't worry, listeners, we will be. I, I, I filmed this part of the film and turned it into a gif so this will be hitting our social media at some point because it's like why is this not a part of new the new gif dropping gif soon yeah instead <laughs> 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 yeah, of a mixtape we're releasing like a a, fo- a folder full of like new new defoe gifs that's our present to you dear listeners that one i think once i saw that i was like 
that is like the ultimate the face like that is like kind of like that take that takes the prize right there and it's just so good i've got it literally playing on a loop on my phone right now <laughs> <laughs> just because i'm like it's so good it's a, it's a classic <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> when this gift drops, it's going to take the fucking internet by storm. More than a, <laughs> more than a Kardashian asshole. let me tell you right now. <laughs> We've got big intentions, big claims. But yeah, I think I have to agree with you know everything you've you've both said there as well petros sent me the gif of that over whatsapp and as and then like the day later when i was watching my first watch of the film my exact words were watching white sands and just got to that scene now biggest fucking deface i've ever seen in my life uh to which petros replied ha 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 such a cheeky boy um <laughs> So yeah, even in my notes, it's all caps bold. What a fucking deface. You would be hard pressed. On the basis of that one, like two second deface alone, I thoroughly recommend this film to, to anyone. I think I think we, you know, obviously we've got a lot of Defoe left to cover on this journey of ours, on this Defoe commotion train. I think we'll be hard pressed to find a more outstanding face than that so a resounding it's, it's almost surprised the face as well isn't it like because it's like so like because it's so cheeky as well it's like oh yes finally some fucking action from this backwater <laughs> town <laughs> just puts just you know leaves the office puts out of office on the front door off being a rascal um <laughs> which which you know let's boil it down the one character one line character description of defoe a fucking cheeky rascal <laughs> that brings us on to the second of the wrap-up questions is does his character have bde big defoe energy big dick energy whichever one you prefer so we're not looking at willem defoe the actor we're looking at ray dozal the character uh so scott first for you does ray have bde i, I kind of went back and forth on this i i'm going to say no i because I think, like, the character is, like, a kind of classic noir character, kind of, uh, you know, in over his head kind of uh, kind of thing. And, and I feel like, I feel like the answer is no. Although there is moments, because, like, again, like, Defoe plays it sometimes with this cheeky, mischievous energy. And there is kind of moments of, like, a kind of... The character is actually very confusing because there's moments where the character is quite swaggering, quite together, and then other times where he's a complete dope. You know, depending on what the script says. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm going to say on balance, no. Yeah, fair. Yeah, it's it, it was a tough one for this movie, a tough one. Uh, but Petros, your thoughts as well? BDE for Ray Dozel. So I've I've gone to my like pros and cons column here. So I have in the pros column. I actually have more pros than cons, but like I'm probably wavering towards Scott's thinking here. But in the pros, we have he pretends to be a criminal. He offers uh, to continue being Bob, which is pretty big dick yeah. like energy right there to go like I could be out of this. Like yeah, I could, fine. but he goes I'm, I'm going for it. Um, hey. He busts in the van and beats up that guy. And then he like, there's a couple of times and it kind of gives one of my like best, but like one of my best like line deliveries in this film. And, like, he busts into Mika's room a couple of times. And like, me, I think Mika says something to the effect of like, 
ah, oh, not this shit again. Like, I, I, I think I'm like buzzing. I think like just to pull this off, that's quite BDE. Do you know what I mean? To kind of, to, to, for a guy who really should have small dick energy. Do you know what I mean? Like if this was a Coen Brothers film, so this would be like William H. Macy. Do you know what I mean? Like, and he would play mm-hmm. it like well in over his head. Do you know what I mean? It's essentially, yeah, for, like there's like a Fargo version of like Fargo is like a similar take on this kind of thing of like somebody doing something and they'd be like, oh shit. But like, you never get that sense that Ray, uh, I don't know, does like uh, ever doubt it. He just kind of goes into it. And uh, the cons column on this, so it's a pretty big one. He cheats on his wife. That's pretty small dick energy. Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but, um, I don't know. I just think because of like the fact that he just goes through with it all, that shows like, I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to say BDE just because like the fact that he goes through with all of it when like he has ample opportunity to to walk away, he just keeps going, and that's kind of you got to have a you got to have a pair of spuds on you to to even like attempt to do that. Yeah, I think a lot of interesting points. And this was so one for BDE, one for no BDE. Um, this was a, this was a, a, a tricky one to try and judge for me because I, I think as we're discussing here, there's there's points on both columns on the pros and the cons, and I'm even now I'm not entirely sure where I stand on it. But in my heart of hearts even though there are a number of BDE moments, like he's going out of his comfort zone, he's chasing this case, he's continuing to be Bob, he's putting himself in a high-pressure situation. He's also not very good at that. He, as I said, he he cheats on his wife numerous, (laughs) numerous fucking times. He does have a good hat. I think witnesses die, potentially, because of his involvement in things as well. He's bad at negotiations. He's a little bit too cheeky to be an FBI undercover cop, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh God, it, it's difficult. Like, I think you could argue maybe there's one or two more in the pros column for having BDE. But at the same time, in my heart of hearts, giving Ray big dick energy doesn't feel right. Um <laughs> As sweet as the fucking hat is, if we're judging it on hat game alone, absolutely all day long, baby. Uh, but obviously we, we can't, you know, boil it down to such a finite binary. So just because of where my heart lies, I have to say no BDE, but I will stress very close, very, very close. So we come on to the most important of the ratings, our final rating for the film overall, final thoughts on the movie as well. And of course... If you're a new listener here, we don't just give things a bog-standard thumbs up or a thumbs down. No, no, no. In classic Willem Dafoe fashion, we give it a friend or a Dafoe. So, again, and for the final time, Scott, we pass to you 1992's White Sands, friend or Dafoe. So, I, I don't always agree with the likes of IMDb and, and, and Letterboxd, but IMDb gives it 6 out of 10. Letterboxd gives it 3.0, and I think that's entirely deserved. This is a this is a a, a 100% three star movie, and as the Empire podcast always says, three stars is a recommendation. So then it's got to be uh, a different. You know, it's a it's a fun junky 90s thriller 
where everybody's kind of all the actors are firing on all cylinders. It's pretty well directed. Um, Peter Menzies, the uh, the cinematographer, shoots the shit out in New Mexico. Uh, yes, the character motivation. Yes, there's lots of implausibilities. Yes, it's got more potholes than Swiss cheese, but it's still a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I think I very much agree with a lot of that there. So that is Wonder Friend for White Sands. Petros, same question. White Sands, the friend or the foe? Well, like, despite, like, for the past, I don't know, like, close to 90 minutes talking about all the, like, plot holes in this film and, like, where it falls down and, like, how it could have been if they'd maybe stuck to the original scripts and stuff like that, it's got to be the friend for, for, for me as well. There's so There's so much, like, kind of, I don't know, like Scott said, like, junky charm to it and that thing of, like, a film that you long for, do you know what I mean? Like that, like this is that. This there's a, a nostalgia factor to it as well. This is the kind of film you would kind of flick over to late night on like ITV or like Channel Four or something, yeah. and like maybe come in twenty minutes in, you're like, oh, I'm intrigued. And then by the end of it, like, yeah, I don't, I had fun with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that 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 for me is sometimes all you need. You just need to have like fun with a film and like. This is very much like that, and like like Scott said, it is like that. There could be no more freestyle movie than this. Like this is this is what the freestyle was created for, baby. And like <laughs> I've I've got to like before before we head on out, like talk about uh, Patrick O'Hearn's score for this as well. Like so much fretless bass, like loads of bass slides and stuff like that. I don't. It sounds like kind of. Phil Collins producing John Martin, in a weird way. Just you talking about that, that that reminds me of like one of the ultimate 90 sequences in this movie where they where they have like their little dinner date in the hotel, and they and, and they like mm-hmm. kind of as soon as Gorman's character uh, drives away and he turns back to go into the hotel, the 90 sexy sax comes in and it's like oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The score to this is <laughs> the Patrick O'Hearn score. Like, yeah, Paul Menzies, like cinematography is really great. Like Roger Donaldson's a really solid pair of hands, like for for something like this. And it's despite all its flaws, it's it's a yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's not a massive. It's a defriend for for me. So two for two on the defriends there. And yeah, I think for all the reasons we've stated and ones I've mentioned so far, I've got to make it three for three defriends. Uh, you know, are there plot holes? Yes. Do the character motivations make any sense? No, they don't. Um, but did I have a good time with the movie on both of my viewings of it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's very easy to sort of nitpick at stuff like this and, you know, could have, would have, should have on these movies as a whole and stuff. But Again, this is one of those weird things, as I said before, I can't really explain why, but even though there are glaring issues with this movie, as we've discussed um, at length here, by the time the credits were rolling, I didn't give a shit. Did not care uh, with all the issues of this. I was like, yeah, this was good. This was decent. And I think, as you've said, the perfect way to describe this, with the utmost respect, of course, is this is like an absolute three out of ten. 
Uh, three out of ten, three out of five. It's not that bad. Christ, <laughs> God, my my brain is quicksand on life. Slip, Freudian slip. Yeah, I actually fucking hated this one. I thought it was bollocks. Uh, <laughs> three out of uh, a little three out of five. A little th- right down the middle. Um, I don't know that you're gonna love it. You're not gonna outright hate it, but sometimes. You just need a little six out of ten film in your life. You just need a little three out of five, and that is fine. Um, you know, they can't all be bangers. Um, but also, again, I cannot stress this enough. Like when the gift comes out that we're going to drop on those socials, oh god, what a face! We will be replying to people with that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, on on gift potential alone, it's a friend. Yeah, from me as well. <laughs> um, but with you know, with that said, all our ratings in the bag in the history books, and we come to the end of our time on White Sands. It is left for us to say first and foremost, uh, Scott Murphy. Thank you very much for taking the time to discuss White Sands with us. Uh, a joy to have you on the show, and for the listeners on the Defoco Motion Train, where can we find you? Uh, on the interwebs, the socials, and all that business as well. So you can find the Action Podcast, All 90s Action, all the time, wherever podcasts are, are provided. Um, you can find us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, Twitter at 90s Action. My other show, New Horror Express, which I, I, I think it's, I'm going to kind of be coming to the end of that. It's starting next year, but we're still currently on, on Facebook and, and Twitter. You can find us again, wherever podcasts are provided. I've also got a website for that one newhorrorexpress.com so you can check out the 180 episodes or or so of that there at newhorrorexp for that one on twitter x whatever you want to call it the last thing is that i recently started a new music review substack called notes from the musical underground so you can check that out on substack amazing stuff well thank you again very very much for joining all the links that scott has mentioned will be down in the description as per usual so it's time to uh, put that gypsum sand in the rearview mirror. Not before we take a little vial with us for the road, of course. But don't tell our wives. And then we uh, start to end things here. So it is left for us to say, I've been Daryl. I've been Petros. I've been Scott. And we've been getting to fool you. And there you have it. Our dear, oh. dear passengers of the Defoco Motion train. Episode 9 in the bag, the penultimate episode, is done. I hope the Strokes defense now makes sense. And then anytime you see a movie, irrespective of your feelings, if it ends on a banging, banging song, it is an instant defriend. <laughs> that's just, that's just how, how the works. math works, baby. <laughs> it's how it works, and... I love that the, the, we all agreed on this film, that it is like for all its shortcomings that we all enjoyed it. I feel like if any one of us didn't enjoy it, it would have just really, I think it would have thrown me. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of a film <laughs> like, yeah. I'd have been like how, well, how could you not? <laughs> how could you not enjoy this, even though it's not a good film? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those films, like we said, it's, um, you know, is it... I, 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 you know, from I'm a, a foundational level built as a good film. You know, it's fine. It's not going to knock your socks off. But sometimes you just need a film to be fine. You just need to allow a film to happen mm-hmm. and forgive it for all its shortcomings and 
Um, and that's what it is. It's like, on paper, this is a big old stinky Defoe, but I would feel like an absolute rotter if I gave it anything less than a Defriend. Oh, yes. And um, and any other day, I think I'd give it a, uh, a Defriend as well. So that is White Sands done and dusted. We uh, leave our suitcase full of sand out there in the desert and we sort of move on from the sand to the sea as we eye up our big old finale next week um, because we, we've got something of a big one <laughs> coming up next week. It's one that's been quite hotly requested. Uh, oh. What have we got coming up next week? Oh, this one's been requested more than I think any other film. Like people wanting to talk about it, people wanting us to cover it. This is a absolute doozy, and it is Speed to Cruise Control from 1997. And we are joined by, again, the perfect guests to talk about this one. We are joined by Rich and Dave of the Unequal Sequel podcast to talk about a film that. Let's be honest, it's an unequal sequel. I don't think we're gilding the lily by by, <laughs> by but people know. People know the reputation of this film. And um it's oh, yeah. it's a fun one. It's a nice little festive treat for you guys. We're kind of leaving you in the festive period with a nice little a nice little turkey. It's our turkey for you. <laughs> this turkey's about to get stuffed, baby. <laughs> A nice, very silly episode uh, to end on and give you a little Christmas farewell and before we see you all again in the new year. Uh, but with that in mind, we thank you, dear listener, dear passenger of the Defoe Commotion train for listening as you have been. Um, of course, this is sort of usually the part where we thank our editor, Matt, for uh, you know making us sound like this sand can be put into some hot sweet glass unfortunately matt was feeling a little bit under the weather um so editing duties were handled within but in place of our usual gushing for matt matt has a podcast as well and we'd be absolute uh in in name and nature to not give it a little bit of a plug as well um so matt mr Matt has a podcast called All for Arnold, where he is, um, as he describes, forcing most friend in the most friendly way possible, forcing his friends to watch every movie Arnold Schwarzenegger has ever made. Um, so he, in his own way, is doing the Lord's work. So please do go. So please do go and check out All for Arnold. Um, we may be even be guesting on there in the near future as well. No, little tease, little tease. As ever, I feel like we should still thank Matt, just because I want to say, without Matt, we are grasping at sand in a briefcase on a June, right? So yeah, check <laughs> out Matt's fantastic podcast. I'm sure, if anything, it is edited perfecto. Almost definitely. And without Matt, we are just two silly geese in cowboy hats and people keep questioning us where we got it from and making us feel bad about our hat decisions matt defends your hat decisions and that's why you need that kind of support on your podcast so go check out all for arnold in a wherever you get your podcasts and all the links in the description as per usual but with that said uh we told you at the top we'll tell you again at the end as well we have various places you can find us on social media 
And if you're enjoying the podcast, you can get in touch with us through all these avenues as well. Uh, Petros, once again, where are all these bits and pieces that you can find us on? Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at DefoeUPod is where you can find us. Please come be silly geese with us. We like it. It's fun. You're lovely. Let's get silly together. Drop us an email. As we've said throughout this season, it's the sexy season. Have you had a sexual dream about Willem Dafoe? Have you had a sexual dream about Daryl or myself? Let us know. We've got some fun stuff in the pipeline as well, so... If you if you if you email us, we might send a reply and let you let you into some little little trade secrets we've got coming up in the near future. Absolutely, gosh darn, lutely plenty still to come for season two and beyond, and all the little sneaky bits we've got in between as well. But we will wrap things up there. So we say to you, thank you for listening. If you have been, we will see you next week for the finale episode as we continue to cover all of the highs, all the lows, and all things Willem Dafoe right here on Getting Dafoe You, a dedicated Dafoe podcast. So until then, until then, bye-bye. Bye! Bye. Getting to Dafoe You, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films Getting to foe you, we'll start with Heaven's Gate And we'll watch them all till the present day